Today on Black Refresh 2020, we have Dr. Kareem Salam, a board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist, and a published author. We discuss his mission to bring mental health awareness to the African-American community and how to recognize symptoms and how to get help. He tells us that if mental health is addressed, it could greatly reduce some of the tragic outcomes that disproportionately affect Black people. Today on Black Refresh 2020, uh, we have the pleasure of having Dr. Kareem El Salam. He is a board-certified child and adolescent psychiatrist, a board-certified adult psychiatrist, a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at Drexel University College of Medicine, and founding member of Global Health Psychiatry. Good evening, Dr. Salam. How are you? Good evening, Todd. Todd, I'm very well. Uh, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to get a chance to connect with the people on some uh, critically important issues. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And uh, so Dr. Uh, Dr. Salam, obviously um, the entire uh, Black Refresh 2020 opportunity, um, you know, as you and I discussed, it certainly is a prime uh, opportunity for African-Americans to really hit the refresh button and to, you know, galvanize and to decide to unite um, as well as go in a, in a positive direction together um, and, and ourselves to solve a lot of problems that, that we face within our community uh, and not wait for uh, uh, politicians and government programs to solve issues that we face. Um, and I truly believe, Dr. Salam, that what you um, represent and, and your knowledge and, and, and so forth can really do a lot to uh, assist in solving some of our problems that, that we uh, experience as African-Americans. Well, thank you, Todd. Um, boy, that sounds like a significant responsibility. Uh, this is an incredible effort. Uh, as you mentioned, this is a pause in American history. It's an opportunity for us to reflect, to self-assess, and to chart a new course. Uh, and that should be directed by leadership uh, in the African-American community and various fields of endeavor, whether it be uh, health and medicine, technology, uh, various aspects of commerce, um, education, uh, sports, entertainment, and the like. Uh, so this is a wonderful effort and there are folks who've lived for decades, who, uh, who've lived long lives, who've never had this experience. Uh, so uh, there's a silver lining to this. Uh, and we can go into some of that a little later, uh, but it, it, it gives us an excellent opportunity to look what we've done well and to identify our areas of challenge uh, where there's need for, for growth, especially as it applies to health, both mental and physical, so. Absolutely. Uh, so jumping right in, what role do you play in mental health treatment? So Todd, I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Uh, that's my day job. Um, I run an adolescent unit. Uh, it's a locked acute inpatient unit. So I'm uh, helping kids who are in crisis. And those crises boil down to three things, pretty much. Imminent danger to self, imminent danger to others, or uh, they are speaking, acting, or behaving in a way that suggests they're divorced from reality or possibly psychotic. So we're not a long-term unit. 
we take care of kids while they are in crisis. Once that has passed, we refer them to a less restrictive setting, uh, an unlocked setting. Uh, and usually by that time, they're ready to go home uh, and return to uh, their daily life as they knew it prior to the crisis. So as part of their family system, uh, as part of a school community, uh, someone who's engaged in certain athletic or extracurricular activities. So um, the goal for uh, inpatient treatment is to really keep it as brief as possible uh, because it can, it can be quite disruptive. When you are on a locked unit, you have to give up some of your civil rights, the most important of which is the freedom of movement, but it's really for safety. So uh, that's the role uh, I play in mental health during the day. An equally important role I play is serving as an ambassador for mental health in the African-American community, which uh, as, as applied to mental health, the African-American community has been marginalized and underserved and uh, affected in a disproportionate way by stigma. Uh, and there's a reason why uh, and of course, we'll go into some of this later, but there's a reason why mental health treatment has not been well received in the African-American community. And that really fueled the genesis of global health psychiatry. So that is work that I'm so passionate about. And I have the, uh, the wonderful fortune and, and grace from God to be part of a group of uh, 10 African-American psychiatrists from all over the country who are focused and fully committed to addressing the issue of stigma as it applies to mental health diagnoses and treatments in the African-American community, knowing that uh, our community will give us the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and we want to take advantage of that and deliver a very positive message from African-American providers so our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, our families uh, who are suffering in silence could get the help that they need. Absolutely. Uh, so Dr. Salam, if, if mental health treatment becomes a larger part of African-American culture uh, as it is for our white counterparts, um, what impact would you say that uh, from a, 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 a metric standpoint, a measurable metric standpoint, um, would, would have an effect directly for uh, African-Americans? Oh, sure. Uh, Todd, successful mental health treatment uh, could affect human beings in profound ways, uh, whether they're African-American or not, but particularly uh, you think about mass incarceration. There are so many folks who are in the criminal justice system or the juvenile justice system who have mental health issues and who may not necessarily uh, belong in an incarceration setting. So if you address their mental health needs, you mitigate their risk of being incarcerated. If you address mental health needs, you diminish dropout rates from school and lack of educational success. Um, you know, if you address mental health needs, uh, there are often folks who have mental health issues that have medical comorbidities. So they have physical health pro problems that occur part and parcel with their mental health issues. So if you treat the mental health issues 
in a way that improves their insight, their awareness to the fact that they have a mental health problem that requires treatment, you can improve their physical health at the same time. Terrific, terrific. And it sounds like all of those contributing factors you just talked about that we would see, uh, I guess, a, a rise in employment uh, in our community if those um, things you just talked about weren't issues that were corrected through uh, proper mental health treatment. Absolutely, Todd, because most folks, even those with serious mental illness, want to work. Mm. And there are opportunities for them to work with the right supports. But the challenge is, is there a political will? Are there the resources available to support these programs? So there was research done in the early 2000s prior to the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, where many of these programs were quite effective. But unfortunately, when there's a, a jolt to the economy and then budgets have to be cut, uh, sometimes resources are diverted away from mental health services. And then you see a rise in unemployment rates amongst those with mental illness or serious mental illness. Uh, and uh, so the key is if you have the right supports in place to uh, put these individuals uh, within the right settings, uh, employment settings, they could succeed. And so absolutely, you could diminish unemployment rates uh, if you offer these folks the proper services, occupational and vocational rehab, uh, certain training programs, also just uh, funding specific medications. If they struggle with a psychotic illness, there's a vast literature on the benefits of long acting injectable medications instead of having to take a pill once a day or several times a day, someone could receive an injection every two weeks or every month to increase the likelihood of medication adherence, uh, fewer flare-ups of, of their symptoms and less disruption of their behavior and a clearing of their mind so that they could focus on their employment tasks. Terrific. Uh, so let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Salam, what can we as African-Americans do uh, to make treatment accessible? Um, we obviously understand that waiting on others uh, to recognize the issue in our community and for them to make a change or uh, to make a, um, a, a real concerted effort to make things work for us um, is, is not gonna happen. You know, what can we do to make uh, mental health treatment uh, you know, available for ourselves? Sure. So that's a very important question and it's a big question. Um, one of the first things is adequate insurance. I hate to go there, but let's go there. That's, uh, that's kind of the elephant in the room. And there are some government programs for folks who are underinsured or uninsured uh, like Medicaid and there are certain eligibility requirements. But interestingly enough, Todd, when it comes to mental health services, in many respects, there's more available to folks on Medicaid than those who are privately insured. So that may sound counterintuitive, but you know, there's um, so much more accountability with these government programs. So that the research has been so thorough 
uh, that they really don't want to squander resources. So they want to stick, they want to adhere to best practices. So uh, in my clinical practice, where you have kids who are struggling and they can't stay out of the hospital and they may need a longer term treatment like residential treatment, many commercial insurance plans or privately insured folks don't have access to that level of care, unlike folks who are on Medicaid, for example. So that's so that shifts to the next point, educating oneself. Okay, so let's talk about stigma as it applies to the African-American community. There's some folks in our community who feel that mental health treatment, that's something that's foreign and that's for white folks. And I can't benefit from that. I don't want people all up in my business and I can be resilient and strong and handle this on my own. But whether you're black or not, we're human beings and we're cloaked in different color flesh, but we all have the same successes and failures yeah. and challenges and mental and mental illness is one of them. Yeah. And so educate yourself. Now, as, as a member of Global Health Psychiatry, we publish mental health literature for lay people. We are targeting our aunts, our uncles, our grandparents, and we are members of the community. We're products of the community. So we can speak in the same key. And we believe that folks will give us the benefit of the doubt that we're not trying to oppress people. We're not trying to harm people. We're not trying to bomb people's brains with unnecessarily high doses of psychotropic medications. And we can explain uh, folks, uh, we could explain things to folks in a digestible and accessible way. So the power of information and knowledge is immense. And when that information and knowledge comes from a trusted source, you may feel more inspired or encouraged to get the help that you need. Wonderful. Uh, since you are discussing uh, some of the efforts of global health psychiatry, yes. uh, I understand um, and, and I really uh, looked up on Amazon a few of the books that you've written. Talk right. a little bit about, about those. Sure. So have a little show and tell. <laughs> the first book is called Mind Matters, a resource guide to psychiatry for black communities. So this book is written in question and answer format at about a seventh grade reading level. And the avatar for this book was an African-American grandma, Nana, okay? And so we want Nana to understand what we're trying to say. We're not hiding behind medical jargon. And we're talking about common mental health diagnoses depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, racism in mental health, uh, disparities in, in health and mental health, uh, addiction. We're talking about aging and dementia. So we cover the entire gamut in a book that's about 200 pages long. And each chapter was written by a different psychiatrist. I happen to write the longest chapter in the book, chapter 10, page 99, on medication management. In addition to all of those subject areas and more, I think I didn't mention uh, we have a chapter devoted to childhood disorders, like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We have a chapter, and I think you'll appreciate this, Todd, devoted to non-medication-based treatments for mental health. So we, we were very thoughtful in our approach 
as members of the African-American community, we are familiar with the history, the fears, the concerns, the anxieties, and the victories in the community. So uh, we, we're well attuned to the concerns. And so we, we actually have an appendix of commonly asked questions or those kind of questions that you, you might want to ask, but not in a room full of people. Like, is this medication going to turn me into a zombie? Or things like, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? So the beauty of this work is that we own it. Uh, we pooled our resources, both academic, educational, experiential, and financially, to form this publishing company to deliver this information to our community. In addition, folks, uh, I've had uh, some of my white counterparts who supported this effort, many as a matter of fact, who care for African-American patients and they use it as a tool to help connect with these patients. So this book was launched in 2018 uh, and it's been tremendously successful. Uh, so that was our freshman effort. Our sophomore effort, which was launched about a year ago uh, in San Francisco, California and Oakland, uh, is How Amari Learned to Love School Again, a story about ADHD. So Amari is a, a young man who has mathematical superpowers and he moved up from kindergarten to first grade where the expectations increased and so he had done well in kindergarten, but he had some difficulty making the transition. Uh, he was having trouble focusing and concentrating in different settings. And so this story is a children's book that it's a book, it's a story of triumph and victory about how a young man who loved school and faced some adversity in school uh, that was related to a clinical problem uh, how his family, his teacher, and his doctor, uh, who look, all of whom looked like him, rallied around him to restore his love of school. In addition to this book, it's powerfully illustrated by a dynamic African-American illustrator from Chicago named Tyrus Gaucher. In addition to the story of Amari, there is a parent guide uh, focused on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, written in question and answer format, uh, which is the format we employed in Mind Matters. So this book is for children who are ages, we'd say about uh, six to about 10. Okay. Six to nine, six to 10. And then there's the parent guide buried within so that folks are educated and armed with the information to make them better advocates for their children who are struggling with these issues. For example, Todd, I went to medical school with kids who had ADHD and they were classified when they were kids and they received special accommodations through the public, through their local public school district because they had educated parents who advocated for them very effectively to the point that these folks got medical educations. Some of them 
their grades were so good they they uh, earned induction into the medical honor society and they carry diagnoses of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder none of those students look like me and so i said these folks have benefited from this information folks in our community must benefit from this information so just because a clinical label is applied early in life if you leverage that properly your uh niece nephew your your son daughter loved one they could realize their educational dreams in spite of now uh our third book which uh we have we can't really i can't go into that at this point we were actually due to launch this weekend Mm. the covid19 disrupted that yes so that would have been our third book in two years wow uh we don't want that book is so important we don't want it overshadowed by this global pandemic okay so as you mentioned uh you know with the refresh 2020 everything's on pause as a result of the global pandemic uh as is the production of our third work so it's just a matter of when we will release it we decided to not release it at this point until we have more certainty about where things go with the global pandemic. Understood. And, and where could those books be found, Dr. Salam? Sure. So you could purchase them on Amazon. Uh, you know, you can purchase them from our website, which is www.ghpsychiatry.com. And uh, our social media handles are at GH psychiatry uh and so uh, you know with the global health psychiatry team do you all do speaking engagements and uh where some of those uh have you been and what are you where are you open to going uh you know in terms of places that you all would speak and share this knowledge todd we are so passionate uh about about mental health issues uh, especially uh, where they affect the African-American community. So uh, we, I can't say there are many places we would not go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because everyone, whether you, you bring life to it through words or not, everyone realizes that there's a, a serious state of affairs in the African-American community as it applies to mental health. And so no one told us to do this we did this of our own will because we encountered this challenge all over the country as i mentioned all the members of global health psychiatry we're literally uh sprinkled about from sea to shining sea whether it be southern california atlanta the carolinas um uh, new york connecticut you know uh, memphis houston so we've all, and we've seen our folks coming to care late in the game, typically under duress after having sustained losses, whether it be uh, affected employment, uh, deprivation of an educational opportunity uh, because of, of mental health, legal entanglements. Mm-hmm. So all of these concerns uh, that are negatively impacted or negative consequences of, of mental health issues that have not been addressed we said 
how can we in a systematic way uh, help connect our community to mental health treatment and we said let's let's start with education and let's meet the people where they are uh, and and the beauty is in the ownership because no one is telling us what we can and cannot write and what we can and cannot say, uh, which is so important. Um, and, and that helps maintain the trust, the trust bond between us and the community we serve. Aristocrat TV, an alternative world for ambitious African-Americans and their diverse social circles. What is an ambitious African-American? Someone that strives to level up in their lives, whatever level that their parents birthed them into, either personally, professionally, or educationally, an aristocrat works hard to take things further. In the span of their lifetime, Aristocrat Nation wants to see African Americans take major measurable strides toward restoration and advancement. Why call it Aristocrat TV? Aristocrat is defined as the best and most elegant. In order for African Americans to compete globally, we have to see ourselves as the best and not be influenced by the images that for so long have defined us as the bottom class. Aristocrat TV is inclusive and open to everyone. We live, work, and socialize with people of all ethnicities and want to include them. Members of Aristocrat Nation respect themselves and others, take care of their families, vote, and wake up with a purpose every day. Aristocrat TV, leveling all the way up and then some. I guess what I, I'd like to kind of close with um, learning from you now that we're dealing with this, this uh, COVID-19 and it's really disrupted everyone's life, um, really kind of turned it upside down, I guess you would say, in terms of our daily lifestyles, um, obviously our, our jobs, um, our, our children, their schooling and so on and so forth. So now that we are in such, um, I, I guess, uh, confined um, um, ways with our families and our friends and so forth, um, is there anything that, or what are some things that we should pay attention to? Like if we notice some behaviors that would tip us off that maybe my family member needs to um, uh, seek treatment uh, and, and what are some things we could look uh, at? And number two, what are some steps we would take if indeed we uh, did feel like they were showing some signs of, of some abnormal behaviors? Sure. Uh, great questions. We always want to be on the lookout uh, for when the need for uh, mental health help is, is really prominent. So a few things. Let's, let's deal with the, the most serious, imminent danger to self, imminent danger to others, out of touch with reality. And th those things are very straightforward. If someone is making a threat on their own life, uh, if they're threatening to damage or destroy property in the home and harm others in the home, um, or, you know, they are so impaired that they're delusional, they're paranoid, um, you know, on a 90 degree day, they'd go outside a 95 degree day, they'd go outside dressed in layers. Uh, that's when you need to call 911 or you need to call your local emergency room or crisis center. Global pandemic or not, that person is dangerous and that danger could come in a matter of seconds to minutes. So the error there is in the delay. 
do not delay. And sometimes when we love someone, we uh, identify their strengths, magnify them and their challenges. We hope, wish, or pray them away. That would be a mistake. Okay. And, and, and so that is not the most common presentation, but global pandemic or not intervene quickly, get them help. Now, what you also want to look at is uh, maybe a milder form. If someone's ability to function is impaired. So uh, someone who's usually gregarious, outgoing, they're holed up in their room with the shades drawn under the covers, not showering, not bathing, not eating, um, you know, really isolating themselves within the home. Uh, you can't allow that to go on too long. Now, the other thing you have to look at is, was this person connected to mental health services uh, pre-pandemic or not? If they were, then you need to help them connect to their providers. And then what you do is offer support. Say, hey, uh, most you and I are uh, interacting remotely now. Most mental health services are conducted remotely in the setting of this global pandemic. So, uh, you know, with their permission, you could say, look, hey, why don't we call your therapist? Why don't we, uh, why don't we reach out? You shouldn't be suffering alone. And then you want to gently prod them, encourage them, coax them. You don't want to leave them in that bed all day. Don't go in and rank the, uh, and, and yank the covers off them. But what you do is, you take advantage of that lifetime of shared love and investment. And you've there's been so much data collected over, over the years. How many times have I willfully harmed you versus all the time I spent willfully loving you? Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna ask you to lean on that and trust that I'm trying to help and support you. Now, this pandemic has affected everything. It's affected folks' finances, their ability to work, uh, for many people, their identity is wrapped up in work. And when you're deprived of that, it could have a powerfully negative impact. So in certain spheres within the mental health system, they want to make services more available because the demand has, has increased abruptly. So there's a model using telehealth to increase the frequency of sessions. So instead of one hour or 30 minutes, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, that way more people could be served or you could increase the frequency of sessions per individual if you shrink the, the duration of the session. So folks are being very creative to provide supports to people in the setting of this global pandemic. Now. Uh, again, you could call your local emergency room or your local crisis center, and all this stuff is available on Google or various search engines, but outside of an emergency, okay? Mm -hmm. So they have social workers or case workers who could, who could provide you with local resources. Additionally, their advocacy groups, like the National Alliance of Mental Illness, NAMI, right? There are professional organizations like the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, AACAP, or the American Psychiatric Association, the APA, 
or Black Psychiatrists of America, BPA, or ABCI, the Association of Black Psychologists, and the Black Social Work Association. So, uh, and furthermore, there's vast information available on credible sites that you're already familiar with, uh, but you may not link them to mental health like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, the CDC, the World Health Organization, uh, and SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. All of these are excellent source fountains of reliable, incredible information as it applies to, to mental health. And there are things like the Suicide Prevention Hotline. So the help is there. And look at it this way. All of us are armed with uh, more information than what's available in the Library of Congress by virtue of the smartphones that we carry in our pockets. Mm -hmm. you use your phone to look up anything else. Yeah. Why not use your phone to access mental health care? Yes. So again, impairment in your ability to function. Socially, you're not connecting as much with your loved ones. You know, uh, another big one, Todd, is loss of interest in activities you once found enjoyable. Mm. So, um, you know, you've, you've lost interest in reading and playing ball and uh, going outside and gardening and hanging out with your friends. And, and, and those are indicators of uh, poor self-care, not keeping yourself up, right? Not bathing, showering, brushing your teeth every day, your activities of, of daily living, failing to meet those targets. Uh, and, you're, and you're someone who's known as, you know, maybe you're impeccably dressed or you're very uh, particular about your appearance and your self-care and you let that go. That might be an indicator of a problem or things like an increase in irritability, a decrease in motivation, uh, problems with memory, uh, those things, uh, you know, you're uh, really, really irritable, especially with kids. So anger and irritability, leave me alone, get away from me, don't talk to me. That is considered a depressive equivalent to sadness in the blues that would present an adult and a, and a teenager, anger and irritability. So uh, those things are equivalent to each other as it applies to depression. So my last question, obviously we talked about the theme of the show is Black Refresh 2020. You know, whenever we do come out of this pandemic, and obviously we believe one day we certainly will emerge from this. Um, and if, let's just say, you know, uh, if African-Americans truly hit the refresh button and at the conclusion of this, we came out better, stronger, wiser, in your mind, because of your passion, what would you like the the mental health awareness and and mental health treatment for african americans to look like at that point i would want the african american community to receive our information and our message as an open invitation to get care so what do i mean by that you know Todd, you and I are around the same age. We're the same era. When we were kids, these, are, these were secrets that were tucked away in families. Folks were put in institutions, you know, 
you know, Jojo just disappeared and, and, and his mom and his pop knew about him, his siblings knew about him, but the rest of the family, it was just something that was hush hush. And I, I would want no more of that. Okay. And I would want folks to own their struggles. I would want folks to feel empowered to um, share their struggles with others because there are people out there who are suffering in silence. And when they see uh, someone who has revealed their struggles, that is a role model. You know how powerful and liberating that could be. And so, uh, I, again, it's a, a matter of shrinking the stigma, giving folks permission to own their challenge and to get help for it. I'm going to expand it beyond mental health, Todd. I think one of the, um, boy, it's hard to capture this in a word. I, you know, I don't know if a silver lining uh, I don't think a silver lining does it justice, but that's the best I can come up with at this time. But I think COVID-19 has caused us to look at our health and how we care for ourselves, what we eat, what we drink. Are we moving around enough? Especially the demographic that you and I belong to, being black men. So I, I just joined a face group, Facebook group called it, the, the initial name was Black Men Walk. The name has been changed to I Am My Brother's Keeper. Mm. And it's a simple message. Uh, we're talking to each other, but we're sharing information. Uh, I, I, I'm, um, I made a post a few days ago about uh, some information I, I gleaned from Science Times in the New York Times that talked about the value of walking. And for every 4,000 steps you take in a day, there's a significant decrease in cardiovascular uh, morbidity, morbidity from cancer, uh, morbidity from uh, metabolic health conditions like diabetes. So uh, if you take 8,000 steps a day, that risk for all those conditions I outlined decreases, but it's associated with a 50% decrease in the prevalence of those conditions. If you take 12,000 steps, it's a 65%, it's associated with a 65% decrease in the rates of those conditions. So I said, as a physician, you know, my brothers need to know this because, you know, um, not to be arrogant, but perhaps if I'm the messenger, maybe folks will feel what I'm saying yeah. and be willing to change their behavior. And so uh, I actually received the invitation to this group uh, from a brother I went to undergrad with. And so, uh, you know, this virus is affecting us disproportionately for a variety of reasons, some of which are tied up into structural racism and historic racism but you know let's focus on things we have direct control over like what we ingest right how much we decide to move things like that so uh it is absolutely about 
education and empowerment, uh, combining those things to change behavior, whether it applies to physical health or mental health, and then they're both intertwined. Wonderful. Well, uh, just want to just thank you, Dr. Kareem Salam, for uh, spending this time with us. We certainly appreciate uh, all the wisdom and knowledge you shared with us. And, and we truly do believe that your role is significant and ultra important uh, and your message is ultra important for our community, especially this time with everything going on. But in addition to that, again, if we as African-Americans hit that refresh button, we know on the other side, we need to be able to continue and to see your vision through so that we all can benefit. So uh, thanks again for uh, coming on board with us. And Todd, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, I really, really appreciate it. This is a positive effort. Our community needs this information and we need this reset, reframe, refresh. So this is very exciting and I'm honored to be a part of it. Thank you. So you be safe and be healthy during this time, Dr. Salam. You too, sir. <laughs> 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 All right, now. Take care, man. Take care.